water bandits in India to tar sands protests in Utah this July 27, 2014. I'm Franny Halperin. And I'm Jamie Sudler. And it's This Week in Water. Oil and gas drillers in Colorado are tapping into prehistoric aquifers to obtain water for use in fracking. A story by Steve Lynn of the Northern Colorado Business Journal reports that applications to the state of Colorado to use deep underground aquifers for oil and gas development have surged. The reason for this surge reflects the new links that oil and gas companies are going to obtain water for drilling. In Colorado, the use of underground water that is tributary to streams or rivers must first be approved by the water court, but groundwater that is not tributary can be used or sold by the property owner, and the oil and gas companies are buying it up. The aquifers that the oil and gas drillers are using store ancient water, typically located hundreds of feet below the surface and derived from glacial melt or prehistoric seawater. In related developments, last week scientists at the University of Colorado said that earthquakes that have recently occurred in the same area in northern Colorado are being caused by oil and gas producers injecting water produced from fracking back into the ground. Another study of seismic activity in Oklahoma recently came to the same conclusion. The island of Cuba is slowly becoming a shadow of its former self. A few decades ago, its southern coast used to extend more than 300 feet, but rising seas from climate change, storm surges, and hurricanes are taking their toll. According to a government study last year, advancing water could wipe out 122 towns and penetrate over a mile inland in low-lying areas by the end of the century. To defend itself, authorities are turning to the oft-maligned mangrove thickets, which have been degraded by decades of neglect and uncontrolled logging. Mangroves in Cuba are harvested heavily for textile dyes, tannins used in pharmaceuticals, lumber for furniture, and charcoal that Cubans rely on to cook in their kitchens. Last year, a moratorium was declared on logging mangroves, and a sustainable management master plan was developed. President Raul Castro has said the plan is one of his top priorities. The elaborate root structure of mangroves acts as a saltwater filter that traps sediment and helps break up waves. Cuba is one of the few places left in the Caribbean with substantial mangrove forests. It's been four years since the disastrous BP Horizon oil well blowout in the Gulf of Mexico, but efforts to deal with the huge spill continue. A large tar mat submerged in the surf zone at the National Seashore's Fort Pickens Beach is still being cleaned up. As reported by the Pensacola News Journal, frequent thunderstorms and lightning has halted work numerous times and tides moving sand around has made recovering the weathered oil from the BP oil spill disaster difficult. A cleanup crew digging by hand has removed nearly 1,800 pounds of oil mixed with sand, shell, and water. The tarmat is roughly 32 feet long and 9 feet wide. Armed bandits are threatening villagers in northern India with death unless they deliver buckets of water every day. 
Residents from 28 villages in a remote drought-stricken region are obeying the demands, taking turns hauling 35 buckets a day for almost two miles, a delivery the bandits are calling a daily water tax. India's bandit tradition goes back more than 800 years to a time when emperors ruled the area and has continued in the remote mountains of the Bundelkhand region, an extremely poor part of the country which is wholly dependent on monsoons for water but has been plagued by drought since 2007. The bandits won't leave their cave hideouts to get water supplies for fear they'll run into police. So instead, they threaten to shoot locals dead unless water is delivered to them. According to local authorities, the bandits are vicious and the villagers are too terrified to say no, despite the fact that water is very scarce in the region and they can barely meet their own needs. There has been much attention paid to the proposed Keystone XL pipeline that would transport tar sands oil from Alberta, Canada to the Gulf of Mexico in the U.S. Attention now is being drawn to tar sands oil mining in the U.S. Last Monday, about two dozen environmental protesters were arrested not far from Moab, Utah, when they chained themselves to fences and construction equipment at a tar sands mining project in the remote Book Cliffs Mountains. The Utah project could be the first tar sands mine in the U.S. The tar sands resistance group said that about 80 activists set up a blockade at the PR Springs mine to highlight what it said would be huge environmental damage if it goes ahead with the mining of the tar sands. Tar sands are a combination of clay, sand, water, and bitumen, a heavy black viscous oil. The sands are mined and processed to extract the bitumen, which is then refined into oil. The bitumen in tar sands cannot be pumped from the ground. Rather, tar sand deposits are extracted by using strip mining or open pit techniques. A spokesperson for the protesters said that these projects do nothing but devastate the land and pollute the water and air. She stated that the last Monday's action followed years of protests, lawsuits, and other attempts to stop the work. Now your groundwater update. As the drought in the West has worsened, millions of people are drawing more heavily on underground water supplies. A new study by the University of California, Irvine, and NASA scientists finds that more than 75% of water loss in the drought-stricken Colorado River Basin since 2004 came from underground sources. Using NASA satellites, the researchers found that the Colorado River Basin has lost 53 million acre-feet, or 17 trillion gallons of water. That's nearly twice the volume of Lake Mead, the nation's largest reservoir, and is enough to supply more than 50 million households with water for a year. Unlike water in rivers and lakes, whose levels are tracked and managed by the Bureau of Reclamation, underground water supplies are poorly documented, so it's difficult for scientists to know just how much water there is. Stephanie Castle, the study's lead author, said that while above-ground water sources can be replenished by rainfall, groundwater sources can become permanently depleted if not managed correctly. And now here's our intern Haley with some droplets from the world of science. Good news. Squid are good for more than just calamari. 
In an article from Popular Science, the family of cephalopods, known as pencil squid, are known to have a protein called reflectin, creatively named for its ability to reflect light and to help the squid's camouflage. This protein conducts electrical signals the way the body does, with positive particles, but can also carry signals the way electronics do, with negative particles. This ability alone would make the squid protein as good as any artificial material, but the fact that it is a protein means that it is more likely to be accepted in the body, can biodegrade, and is modifiable with the genetic code used universally in proteins. This discovery is vastly important to the biomechanics industry for products such as prosthetics and robotic limbs. It also tells us something about the ocean. There is still much to be discovered, and what we find might help us, too. And finally today, we turn to hockey. Yes, hockey. It appears the national obsession of Canada, an iconic game of the Great White North, is in trouble. A new sustainability report released last week from the National Hockey League says global warming is threatening two very things the sport depends on, cold weather and clean water. For decades, young Canadians needed only a good pair of skates, a big stick, and perhaps a love of pain to enjoy the national sport. They'd skate out onto nearby ponds and lakes or hose down yards to hone their skills. But lately, finding good ice is becoming increasingly difficult as winters are becoming much too warm, and the NHL is concerned. Commissioner Gary Bettman said in a statement last Monday, quote, Our sport can trace its roots to frozen freshwater ponds and to cold climates. But the NHL isn't sitting idly by. In 2010, they launched NHL Green, an effort to enhance the league's ecological profile while educating fans about environmental issues. NHL Green advises clubs about their carbon footprint and measures teams' success in reducing waste and recycling. But there's a deeper problem. Hockey is Canada's identity. Climate change could cause the country to lose its competitive edge. Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, and other elite players can trace their greatness to hours of unstructured time on natural outdoor rinks in their backyards. According to Danny Harvey of the University of Toronto, unstructured creative play on outdoor natural settings versus structured indoor arenas is one of Canada's key advantages. Adding that if Canada wants to keep winning Olympic gold, they better hope it doesn't warm up too much. To paraphrase the Christian Science Monitor headline, climate change is threatening penguins, all right. The Pittsburgh Penguins. This Week in Water is a production of H2O Radio and is sponsored by Colorado Waterwise. Learn more at coloradowaterwise.org.